0: I think it was about 13 or 14 years ago now that Jonathan Ross hosted a a three-hour documentary. I can't remember what channel it was on, but it was on the top 100 toys of all time. And as you can imagine, those that can go back a few years, there were various different toys that you might be familiar that featured. Star Wars was in in the list. Care Bears, My Little Pony, Nintendo, uh, The Game of Life, Playmobil. And yet, the clear number one was Lego. <laughs> and I'd actually, when I was looking at this, I looked at several other polls of like the top 10 toys or top 20 toys that have been done since, one by the entertainer. The number one was Lego, time and time again. In fact, I know actually with some people that have traveled up with me from Ashford that there are some Lego enthusiasts here this evening. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there's one or two more. Now there are many reasons why I think Lego is loved, but I think at the heart of its popularity is this human desire actually to build. (laughs) Uh, Most people that I ask, or the reviews that I've read on lego.com, when they're talking about a particular Lego set, they talk about the quality of the build. Uh, And what they're talking about there, how I understand it, is the fun and the satisfaction of building a particular Lego set. Well, it highlights something inside us all, doesn't it? As human beings, we love to build. We love to build. And as Christians, I really don't think this should surprise us. You see, in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are told, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, that tells us that in each human being, there is something of God inside each of us we're we're made in his likeness in his image and the bible tells us very clearly (coughs) that our god is a builder he is a builder that's why we build in fact i would say our god is the original master builder god built our solar system uh, the stars the sun he designed our galaxy within the universe that he constructed everything on our planet has been designed and built in some capacity by God. And I think it's clear from what Paul tells us in these closing verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and by what is happening here at Belvedere, that God is continuing to build today. God is building his church. If you want a heading for talks, I know sometimes it, that's my heading for today. God is building his church. Verse 22 in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It might be that God's church is his greatest building project yet. (laughs) And of course, we're not talking about the physical structures as we've prayed. God's church is his people. Those who um, God has called and are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ and he has brought together. That the project started... 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, and it's continued till today, all around the world now. God is building his church. And I think the amazing thing is, is that just like these Gentile Christians, predominantly Gentile Christians that Paul is writing to in Ephesus, the incredible thing is is that he chose them and that he's chosen us (laughs) to be part of his church. If you've got your Bibles open, look back at verse 12, he's talking about the Gentiles' Uh, how they used to live here. And he says in verse 12, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is desperate. But that is a life without the Lord Jesus. Then verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul goes on to tell the Ephesians that that Jesus is their peace. That that through the cross, they have been reconciled with Almighty God. And the wonder is that that is the greatest reconciliation, that that we as sinners can be forgiven our sins at the cross and have a relationship again with God the Father. But there's also another reconciliation that takes place with all Christians that come to the cross. Those boundaries and differences between us are crushed. Uh, Barriers are destroyed by Jesus. We come together to the cross. And Paul starts to conclude, uh, in light of this peace and reconciliation in verse 19, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And here are three, uh, here's the first of three images or metaphors that, that Paul uses To help us understand the wonder of what God is building. We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. That's a huge contrast. I wonder whether or not you noticed one of the reasons why I wanted to read the whole of chapter 2. Did you notice all the contrasts going through that chapter? It's full of contrasts. You see, Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand. God wants us to understand through his word that becoming a Christian is not a subtle change. He's not describing, Paul, some kind of marginal shift in thinking, a sort of rearrangement of philosophical foundations or a a slow movement from one religious faith to another. That is not what Paul describes in chapter 2. No, what Paul is describing here is a decisive, a dramatic change. Paul's pointing out that there's a real, there's an observable difference between the Christian and the unbeliever. A Christian isn't someone who just has an interest in Christianity or is sympathetic to it. There was a lot of hoo-ha, the last census that was taken, that the majority of people in Britain don't say they're Christians anymore. But I think the percentage was still something like 46 or 47 percent, it just wasn't the majority. But that's not what Paul's describing here. Someone who might just tick, well yeah I think my Christians, uh, my parents used to go to church so I'll tick Christian. Oh yeah I go to church at Easter or Christmas. I have some sympathy or some understanding of the Bible. I quite like some of the teachings of Jesus, so tick, I'm a Christian. That is not what Paul is describing here. Look at verses 1 uh, one to 3. You see, a Christian is someone who is, is spiritually dead. And what he's describing here is uh, whether you were brought up in a, in a loving Christian home here in the Gospel, or, or whether you are... In a, in a fractured home, uh, and never hearing anything of God's truth, or maybe in a loving home, but, but never hearing anything of the gospel, Paul said, you're all spiritually dead. Until you came to a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, you actually, you all walked in some capacity just, just following the current of this world. You pursued your own desires. And actually, everyone is deserving of God's wrath. But God, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, has made us alive in Christ. You see, faith in Jesus Christ makes the greatest of distinctions. I think we see this in in John chapter 1, often a passage that is is read at Christmas. Uh, John chapter 1, let me read from verse 11, this is what we read. He, and John is talking about Jesus here, Jesus came to his own, to the earth, And his own did not receive him. One group of people, those that didn't receive the Lord Jesus. But John continues. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Second group of people. There's none in the middle. It's so clear. You're here or you're here. And the only way you get to hear is by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes the greatest of distinctions. And in God's grace, some of us here this evening have been called by God and placed our faith and trust in him. And now we're being transformed by him. Every Christian has a wonderfully unique testimony that we can use to share with our friends, but the fundamentals of each of our testimonies are exactly the same. I was once dead... I was once living without Jesus, I was going my own way, and actually he made me alive in Christ. I was a stranger to God's kingdom, and now I'm a citizen. What a contrast. As Christians, understand it, reflect on it, rejoice in it, and proclaim it. Proclaim it. Well let's think about this first image, fellow citizens with the saints. I just want to draw two things out about citizenship. And the first is this, is that citizenship gives you an identity. It gives you an identity. I think it was back in uh, 2012. Uh, Michelle and I were lucky enough, we put our our name into the the hat for tickets for the Olympic Games. And we got some athletics tickets and we we were really thrilled. And we went up to watch the athletics, but let me tell you, Michelle and I are biased in our support. We support Team GB because we're both British citizens, and we can relate to our athletes on the track. So uh, what do we do as, as fans? Well, we, we get merchandise, don't we? We wear the clothes. And I thought, well, sometimes I get hot when I preach. So I thought I'd bring my uh, Team GB um, sweatbands that I bought at the time. That's a bit better than getting a handkerchief. so I can just wipe my brow like that and you can't tell. But we wear the clothes, don't we? We put on the accessories. We want to show our identity. Well, as Christians, our chief identity is no longer in in terms of Ephesus. It wasn't about whether they were Jew or non-Jew. They're Christians. They're one. In the 21st century, it doesn't make a difference if we're British, Nigerian, American. I guess British encompasses Welsh, but I know there's some Welsh here. Welsh. We, We are one. French, Ukrainian, Russian, Israeli, Palestinian. If you're a Christian, you're one. Our identity, our citizenship is in God's kingdom. And Jesus Christ is our identity. And, and, and as Christians, we should want to clothe ourselves accordingly. And in a, a parallel letter, really, to Ephesians, in Colossians chapter 3, This is what we read, because I think Paul is really talking about the Christian's clothes, what you should put on to identify yourself as a Christian. Let me read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. This is what Paul says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also... But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Citizenship gives us an identity, and that identity is in Jesus Christ. And I sometimes think each day that I start, maybe I should be turning to Colossians chapter 3 and say, Holy Spirit, please clothe me today. I, I, I'm desperate to be more like Jesus today. Help me to put on these spiritual clothes. Identity. The, the, secondly, that there are benefits aren't there, to being a a citizen? Benefits to being a citizen. Right right now, there will be tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people that that would love to come to Britain. They'd love to be in Britain. And one of the biggest reasons is because of the benefits of being a British citizen, of coming to Britain. I actually went onto a government website, and and here's a a list of things that uh, are the benefits, that are listed as benefits of being a British citizen. I like number one, the right to live in the UK forever. Or until we're next invaded, but don't tell them that. But the light of, You've got a right to live in the UK apparently forever. Number two, the right to hold a British passport. Number three, you've got full civic rights. You, you, you can vote, you can stand for public office. How many people in the world still don't have that benefit? Four, free NHS medical care. Five, no restrictions on your right to work. Six, unrestricted restricted entry to the UK and no restrictions on travelling abroad. See, thousands risked their lives in the hope of enjoying those benefits. I wonder how many times we've actually thanked God for the benefits of being British citizens. Yet the point being is that none of those benefits compare remotely to the benefits of being a citizen in God's kingdom. Now We haven't got time tonight to go through Ephesians in lots of details. But let me just draw out some of the benefits, the spiritual benefits of being a citizen of God's kingdom, going back to chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles open, you can follow along with me. I'll be going quite quickly, though I'll warn you. But chapter 1 is full of these benefits of being a citizen in God's kingdom. Number 1, we have the, and these aren't in priority order, these are just being listed as the text goes, we have the joy of being chosen by God. Verse 4 of chapter 1. It's a wonderful thought. Well, when I was at school, we always used to, you know, at football time, at break, you'd be lined up against the wall and you'd be really hoping you were picked early. You didn't want to be left. Well, as a Christian, rejoice in the fact that God has chosen you. Number two, being adopted into God's family. Number three, uh, that's verse five. Number three, we're, we're redeemed. Verse seven, that is to be set free from the enslavement to sin. And perhaps you don't even recognise that we were trapped to sin until we come out the other side and we realise God has redeemed us verse 7 we're forgiven still in verse 7 for God uh, by God for our sin Uh, move on a bit to, to verse 13 read about being sealed by the Holy Spirit that he dwells inside each believer verse 14 there's this glorious inheritance that unlike the UK actually will last forever will not spoil or fade guaranteed this glorious inheritance and then as Paul closes out chapter 1, really, from, from verse 18 to verse 23, we see there is blessing in knowing more about God, more about his power, more, more about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, about his authority, that, that Jesus is in control of my life, that Jesus is in control of all that's going on in the world. So, so yes, as a Christian, I, sh- I should be mindful of looking after God's planet. But I'm not going to have to stay awake at night worrying about an increase in temperature because I know my God is in control. The benefits continue into chapter 2. We've been reading about some of them. We've been made alive in Christ in verse 5. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We've received God's gifts of grace and faith. And we're his workmanship, verse 10. So wonderful thought. There's no, employ- no unemployment as a citizen in God's kingdom. He's got good works prepared for us to do. Each of us. You see, the benefits of being a citizen in God's kingdom, they are inexhaustible. <laughs> I've whistled through. Just Ephesians, you know, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and not done a very good job either. Go through the Bible. Praise God for the benefits of being a citizen if you're a Christian. And if you're having a, a tough week... <laughs> Ahead. Let me just encourage you. that There's lots of chapters in the Bible that you can turn to, but you've been looking at Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 if you're feeling low spiritually or if something hasn't quite worked out and remind yourself of the benefits of being a citizen in God's kingdom. Mm. And if you're not a Christian, let me encourage you. You can enjoy these benefits today. Jesus says in John chapter 6, one of those open invitations, and he just says, everyone who comes to me, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away, I'll never cast away. Come to Jesus tonight, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and start to enjoy these wonderful spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us know how many days we have to live on this earth. None of us know But but the Bible is very clear that we do know this. That when Jesus returns or or we go to be judged, our our time finishes here. That no illegal immigrants, as in no unbelievers, will be able to get past border controls and into heaven. Unless you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. Time will be up. Become a citizen today. Well back to our verses, verse 19. Paul continues... Uh, so we've, God is building his church, he's making a nation, we are citizens, and he continues, and members of the household of God. You see, God's love is such that he was never content with just building a nation, he, he's building a family. He, he brought us into his family. And it's not a new theme in this book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 5, we were thinking about it as one of the benefits, being adopted into God's family. This is a position that that God had created mankind for. God walks with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's their Heavenly Father who wants to be in relationship with his people. And yet, it's a position that due to our sin, we fell well short of. And yet, chapter 1 is so clear that God had always planned to restore us. Always planned to bring us back into his family through Jesus. And I think evidence of our adoption into his family and reconciliation with God, it is so clear in the verse just before our verses, chapter 2:18. for through him, through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father, the Father. The family theme continues into chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father, Paul's Father, our Father. God is our Father, and we're his sons and daughters. And of course, you follow that through, that makes us, if we're trusting the Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters. I don't think we get the full, how radical Paul is being here. If you were in Ephesus, you'd have paused many times as you were reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, but particularly here, you can imagine some of the comments, that she really, from these Gentile believers who have been looked down upon for... Hundreds of years by Jews, Uh, one of the, probably the greatest divide in that first century was between Jew and Gentile. And here is Paul saying, do you know, you're you're not just citizens, you're family members. I can hear some of the comments. I I can handle, yeah, okay, citizenship is, brother or sister, really, Paul? You're going too far. Yet you see it's this amazing diversity of nations, cultures, classes, backgrounds, that makes the church stand out all the more for God's glory as it is being built. The church is where everyone who acknowledges that they were once dead, but whom God has made alive in Jesus Christ forms part of the family. What, what's the saying that we sometimes say you can uh, choose your friends but you can't choose your family? <laughs> I bet some of us may have thought about that in the church. Oh, God, why did you save that individual? Everyone else understand why they're in my church, but that, that individual always rubs me up the wrong way. It shouldn't be the case. We're brothers and sisters. Those of us that have um, blood, brothers and sisters, well, sometimes we know that we get on great, and I guess sometimes not so great, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised that, sadly, we see it sometimes in the church. But we really shouldn't fall out with each other. We really shouldn't. I'll give you three reasons, I think, why sometimes Christians do. It's when we forget, number one, when we forget the price that Jesus paid. (laughs) Not just for our sins, but for that brother or sister that maybe we're struggling to get alongside, that Jesus shed his blood for them as well. And number two, it's when we take our eyes off the foundation, our foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come on to that as we close. And number three, it's when we don't do what God instructs us to do. There's lots of instructions in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're instructed to do. To be completely humble, gentle, patient with one another. God has given his people a supernatural unity in the Holy Spirit. We don't need to create it. He's given it to us. But we are instructed that we need to maintain it. Because, you see, it's not only the diversity of God's family that brings him glory, but it's also the love that grows within his family that brings glory to God. Both for him and for each other that sets us apart. We are family. On to the third image that, that Paul uses. God's building in church. We're citizens. We're family members. We are God's holy temple. Verse 21. Verse 21. In whom? Again, that's Jesus. In Jesus, the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Uh, At one time, you know the scriptures, God's presence was very physically evident on on the earth, uh, uh, in the tabernacle and then in the temple in Jerusalem. Whereas today, God's presence is most evident among us. His people, both individually as his spirit dwells in us and particularly also when we come together. Jesus himself said, didn't he, where, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them, Matthew eighteen twenty. I think that's what Paul is talking of here. We are the new temple of God. God's presence is no longer behind walls. He dwells in us through his spirit. We are in this image living stones <laughs> i think that's what paul is paul is coming to It's how peter explains it as well in 1 peter chapter 2 1 peter chapter 2 let me read what peter says from verse 4 uh, coming to him as to a living stone he's talking about jesus here rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What a thought. Set apart. God dwelling in us. I just want to pause for a moment. I wonder whether or not you've noticed what Paul, I think, has done very deliberately as he's given us each of these images. Have you, have you noticed, firstly, how each of these images, they become more intense with regards to our relationship? With God, You see, a king lives in a country with his citizens, doesn't he? But I don't know whether or not Prince Charles is in Buckingham Palace, but what's that from here? Ten miles? There's still that distance, isn't there? And then he goes on to talk about a father. Well, a father lives under the same roof with his children. And then he starts talking about uh, being stones. Uh, and God doesn't just live near the stones of his temple, he, he dwells within them. You see, they all get more intense with regards to our relationship with God. And then you see they also get more intense, each of these images, with regards to our relationship to one another as brothers and sisters. (laughs) Fellow citizens can live miles from each other. I dare say members here. Probably the the greatest distance between two members is probably some distance. And yet brothers and sisters are in rooms next door to each other. Sometimes they share a bedroom. And stones, well, (laughs) stones are cemented together. Think about that next time you're in a row and I'll notice that Krishna I disagreed with the other week. Or remember we're cemented together as part of God's temple. Living stones. How can we be the living stones that God wants us to be? Well I think verse 20 is a great starting point. So just a few words to, to close on. On our all important foundation. Verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The foundation of the church is finished. And it is all sufficient. That The church today, just as it's been for 2,000 years, is continuing to be built on the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. In God's word, the Bible. And all the way through the Bible, at the heart of the Bible, is this good news all about the Lord Jesus. God is actually pointing to Jesus all the way through the scriptures. Even in the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verse 22, there are verses about Jesus being the cornerstone. Uh, Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvellous in our eyes. God says through Isaiah, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone. A precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The cornerstone was the most important part of any ancient building. It had to be strong enough to support the rest of the building that would rise from it. It had to be particularly, you know, very carefully placed because every other stone would be measured from it. If the cornerstone wasn't perfectly square, well, then neither would the building be. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ is of equal importance to the church. He is the essential component, both that the message of the cross and all that is taught in his word that the apostles and the prophets have proclaimed to us. If we are wrong with what we share about Jesus, well then let me tell you, everything that we try and build will simply collapse. But if we get the facts right about Jesus, who he is, that he's the divine Son of God, and that he came to die on the cross for our sins, well then that everything we build, God will enable it to be strong, stable, and eternal. The foundation has been laid. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that on which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. <coughs> it's not in need of any additional support or strengthening our foundation Nor should we ever subtract anything from God's word or the truth of the gospel. We have all we need. And we're helped to grow in our knowledge of God's truth when we come together. We're not meant to walk this Christian life alone. We're not meant to be a singular citizen or a singular family member or one little stone. C.S. Lewis. In his book, The Four Loves, I think he helpfully shares an illustration of the blessing of being together from his personal experience. Uh, some of you will know that C.S. Lewis was known as Jack uh, by his friends. Uh, and Jack, uh, he was one of three friends. They were essentially co-best friends. There was Jack, Ronald, and Charles. And if you know anything about C.S. Lewis's life, you'll know that tragically, Charles died earlier on than um, Jack or Ronald. And Jack, in his grief at the loss of one of his very best friends, was initially comforted by the thought, well, uh, I'll become better friends now with Ronald, because he believed that he'd have more of Ronald now that Charles has departed. But Jack found out as weeks and months passed that he was actually wrong. His intuition was wrong. He found out actually that he didn't have more of Ronald. In his experience, he had less of Ronald. Because you see there was a side of Ronald that only Charles was able to bring forth and it was now missing in their friendship. Well Jack, let's go back to C.S. Lewis, he thought about this and he began to see that it takes a community to really get to know someone. That in and of ourselves uh, we can't draw forth a a person completely full. He realised people are complex and deep and that we never know somebody completely by ourselves. It's also only when we see them relating with other people, or when we, we're relating all together, that we can really get to know someone. Well, this is a thought I want to leave you with, because then you see he takes that directly to the Lord Jesus. And he says, Well, if that is true of an average human being, how much more is it true of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, in and of ourselves, if we're a Christian here this evening, we're we'll only ever know a wonderful, truly wonderful little slice all about the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we come together and other people share their knowledge from the scriptures of what they've understood through the Spirit and when they share their testimony and when they share their experiences of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ we see more slices of a huge cake. The more time we spend together sharing understanding the Bible with each other the deeper we will all get to know our Saviour. You see, God is building his church. We are citizens, we're family, we're we're a holy temple where God dwells. And it's a place where we live, we learn more about Jesus and grow together.